Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing rom-coms, which is kind of timely seeing as this episode should be coming out the day after Valentine's Day. So we'll be taking a look at the life and kind of like the death in quotes of the traditional rom-com and then the revival of rom-coms in a new format. But first, this week, the Oscar nominations came out. Jabbar, do you want to read out what was nominated for the Best Picture? And then maybe mention, if any, which of the ones you've seen. Okay, so this year's Best Picture nominations are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. And I've seen a grand total of zero of these films. Wait, I thought you said you saw... I thought the tragedy of Macbeth was nominated because oh, no, Denzel, Denzel was nominated. nominated. Okay, we'll get we'll but, get to yeah. the best actor in a second. I've seen Drive My Car, which was phenomenal. Um, Doing which was good. I feel like it was very much like a intro though to a trilogy. So mm-hmm. I feel like it'll be better judged as a whole as opposed to kind of a standalone film. Although as a standalone film, it was good. I have seen Licorice Pizza, which I have a lot of thoughts about. <laughs> I've seen Nightmare Alley, which was okay. I haven't seen The Power of Dog, and I saw The West Side Story, which I enjoyed. I feel like overall, this is kind of a... Weak year? Yeah, but I feel like it's still kind of like coming out of the last two years of the pandemic, which kind of just made the movies like a little bit weaker, a little bit more weird. I know some people were pushing for Spider-Man No Way Home to get a Best Picture nomination since it was um such a a blockbuster hit in comparison to like everything else on this list. Like I think the highest grossing film on this list was Dune, which made um like a hundred and something through two hundred something million dollars or something like that. It was that. also on HBO Max, so that's a big reason as to why. I, I mean I think it was on HBO Max, but I think people are just still in general going to the movies less. Like I think Yeah that's what I'm saying. It's like yeah, since you could watch it on T V, there wasn't much of a reason to go to the movies. That and people would feel less comfortable in the movies still. Yeah, because if um, Spider-Man came out on Disney+, Plus, I'm sure the box office would have been lower because of that. I think it's. I think it would have still been high. Because I think yeah. Marvel... I mean, one, you had, like, everyone knew that you gonna, we were going to have Tobey Maguire. Oh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Spider-Man <laughs> all these months later. But people knew that you were going to have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in it. So that was kind of, like, a big anticipation of the nostalgia factor. Um, and it's a Marvel movie, so those are kind of just, like, baked in. But I think there's a conversation of... Should the Oscars start rewarding movies just because they're popular? You know, that's like the whole thing a few years ago with the most popular um, award category that ended up being scrapped. But I don't know. I feel like from this list, the movies just kind of seem okay. And I feel like it's starting to becoming more of awarding like legacy people. So with that, we can get into the best director because I feel like this category in particular does a lot of that exception of I think maybe two people in here all of these are kind of like legacy directors that you know constantly you hear their name so is it kind of like when is like new blood going to be able to break into these categories when we start to see interesting things like Green Knight start yeah. to get nominated so, so for the directed nominees we have Kenneth Branagh Branagh from Belfast we have Ryusuke Hamaguchi from Drive My Car we have Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza we have Jane Camp- Campion, Campion uh-huh. for The Power of the Dog. And we have Spielberg. No, no. Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. You said Spielberg like you didn't know who he no, was no, for a second. He's like, Spielberg? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I only know two of them, Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Spielberg. I never heard of Jan Campion. Um, is she like a legacy director? She's the woman, first woman to be nominated twice. Okay. Which and is kind then, of sad. And then uh, Ryusuke Hamajuki Gucci is... Um, he's... He's a Japanese director, so I think yeah. it's like a first-time nomination for him. So I think we're starting to now see kind of more breakthrough of foreign directors in the Oscars and foreign films in Best Picture, which is one thing I really like because I feel like before you didn't get as much of that. Maybe you would see them in foreign film only, and that's where all the praise will come in. But I feel like now, like since Parasite, you're starting to see more yeah. foreign and language film. and actual foreign films. And I feel like I, for the past two weekends, I've been to the movies once to see Drive My Car and then yesterday to see The Worst Person in the World. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I think now we're just starting to get more, not more interesting foreign films, but it's just kind of becoming like more. Well, foreign films have always been great. Even when you so, go back yeah. to um, the dude that did, the, the, the Chinese director who used to do all the Hong Kong films. Like Seven Samurai and stuff? No. no um, John. No, what's his name? He was in the Hong Kong. We did an episode about his movies. Wonka, why? Yeah, like, we're going to start from here. Okay. So, um, yeah, we've always had interesting directors, foreign directors. Like, you have Wonka, why, who was a big influence on many directors. But I think that after um, Parasite won Best Picture, and then the ease of access for foreign films with streaming sites, people are starting to be a little bit more um, and I think that's open to it. really what it is, is, like, the ease of being able to see it. And I know, like, Drive My Car, and I think The Worst Person in the World are still kind of exclusively, like, coastal movies right now so you could probably only see it in new york and yeah la so. and like it's still a little bit harder to access and depending on where you live but i feel like you're starting to get more widespread theatrical releases of these foreign movies which i think makes it more accessible which then gets more eyes on it which then gives them more recognition from like critics and the oscars and stuff um the next category is best actress <laughs> Which these are also, again, lots of legacy people and names you've heard of before. One particular actress, I don't necessarily think is a good actress, but I haven't seen Spencer, so I can't judge from, you know, that movie. But you have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and then Kristen Stewart for Spencer. And the person that seems to be left off this list is Lady Gaga for The House of Gucci. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen actually any of these movies, so I might try and catch up on some of them before. Yeah, I would definitely like to Oscars. watch. I'm, I mean, I usually do watch all the films before the Oscars, say for one or two. So I'm going to catch up on the movies and maybe we could revisit the um. Films. We can do a predictions or something episode. Yeah, we yeah. can revisit once we see it. But I haven't seen literally <laughs> any of these. Like what side story being um. I thought people hated West Side Story. Like, it didn't. Why is no, Steven nominated? West Side Story got very good critical reception. It just didn't get a lot of audience um, yeah. viewings, which I think musicals are just not what they were in like the '60s or even a little bit later than that. People just don't gravitate towards musicals anymore. Well, maybe so. like Encanto was well received by the audience, but I think but not as well by the critics. No, it was. That's. I mean, Encanto like the favorite to win. I know, but it's a best Disney picture. Film, but yeah. I think the difference, there's like a difference in medium. So Encanto's like, oh, I'm going to bring my kids to see Encanto. It's animated. It's Pixar. It's, you know, it ha it's similar to like Marvel where it has like that Disney Pixar-ness baked into it. So 
most of the time, if you have a Disney Pixar movie, it's going to do well. You know, West Side Story was kind of like people were saying, is it a pointless remake? Yeah. The lead actor had some um, controversy around him. There are all these things baked into it. And it's a long movie as well. So people just weren't like, I'm going to go see it. I think, especially with movies being so expensive now, people choose, like, I'm going to go see this specific movie, which is why you have people going to see a Spider-Man or something like that. They choose, like, one movie to go see. And it wasn't West Side Story. Definitely wasn't West Side Story. That's probably going to be the one I don't see this year. I really do not, like, care to see that movie at all. I I enjoyed it. I mean, but I like musicals. I love musicals. Like, that's what people, like, people act like, like, I think maybe it's like a guy thing where they think we don't like musicals. I think people I love just musicals, don't. I think people just don't like. A lot I of like people, good musicals, though. There's a lot of bad musicals out there. There are a lot of bad musicals out there. Like when we did our musical episode, I remember there was a lot of musicals that I enjoyed. But then there were some that I didn't enjoy because the music has to be good first and foremost. But I also feel like you enjoy movies with music, which is a discussion we had. Well, so yeah, like, I don't want like a whole movie that's all singing. But I mean, no, I mean, like there's a difference between like a Purple Rain and a Hairspray. Where hairspray is kind of like they break out into song versus purple rain, where it's kind of like all the songs are kind of concert like, driven. Same like, thing as like A Star Is Born. Yeah, that's a good movie. That's a musical movie with music. But then you have a movie like La La Land. If the story and music was better, I would have really liked that movie. I guess yeah. So it's kind of based. It's pretty much comes out to the movie. Like I love the music in Encanto. That's a musical. It's a yeah. musical. Encanto is a musical, and the music is really good. Um. Disney movies, I think, tend to have really good... High School Musical? High School Musical. Yeah, I love High School Musical. High School Musical is good, yeah. Like, I don't care what no one says, but that's not not an episode about musicals. Yeah, let's let's not go too far into it. Okay, so the last category we'll talk about is um, Best Actor, where you have Javier Bedem for Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, and Will uh, Will Smith for King Richard, and then Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Who's your Um, favorite right now? I actually don't know. I feel like it might be Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog. I need to look at Gold Derby, but yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. They love Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I haven't seen. Only thing I've seen on here is The Tragedy of Macbeth and then part of Tick, Tick, Boom. I need to finish actually, I'm both of those. Will Smith or Denzel, but yeah, I thought Denzel was really good in um The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, but I didn't see any of the other movies, so it's kind of unfair for me to judge. Yeah, and I, then after last year, um, what's his name, Daniel Kaluuya, went and you know they got a. Well, he won for Best Supporting Actor. You remember there was a whole thing yeah, yeah, last yeah. year with Chadwick Boseman, and they like built up all this anticipation, act or not acting. I feel like maybe they actually thought he was going to win. Mm-hmm. So they moved his category to last, yeah. um, and then it ended up being Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like... Oh, yeah, he won for the fall, though, right? Yeah, he wasn't even there. He just sent in like a selfie, and yeah. it was like, oh, this is really awkward because you can tell that they built up this whole thing around um, Chadwick passing away. Mm-hmm. To award him posthumously, like the, um, Heath, Heath Ledger, Ledger. Oscar, yeah. mm-hmm. and then didn't award him. So that's they. They might try and I don't know. I don't think they're gonna try and make up for it. But no, probably not. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that was like just a little Oscar discussion. We'll talk a little bit more about it. The as we get closer to the awards, maybe Jabari will watch a few of the movies, and then we can try and make some yeah. predictions. I'm gonna start with Don't Drive My Car. Don't drive my car. It's just called drive my car. (laughs) (laughs) She's driving his car. Um, That one's long. You have to see it in the movie theater. It's not streaming. Oh, okay. But you can go to BAM to see it. I personally think it was like almost three hours. So bring snacks. Bring snacks. It's definitely a slow burn, but I enjoyed it. I didn't know if I was going to. I was kind of like, oh, I hope this is good because it's a long movie. Yeah. Um, But I enjoyed it a lot. Um, So I would definitely recommend that one. 
I think Dune, I think you could watch that on HBO Max again. Don't Look Up is on Netflix. Coda is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, Nightmare Alley is on Hulu and HBO Max for some weird reason. Power of the Dog is on Netflix. And then West Side Story, King Richard, and Belfast. I don't know if they're streaming or they might only be like available to rent. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll find, definitely find a way to see all of them. And I'm definitely looking forward. To, I always look forward to Oscar season, so. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like all the awards coming out. I like up it earlier better than later, though. I know. I, don't I like think, this late Oscar season. I think next year will probably be earlier. I think they probably bet on later so that they could have yeah. an in-person ceremony. But next year will probably hopefully be earlier again because, yeah, having it so late is kind of like it drags a lot. Like, you know, it's like the beginning of the year, all the hype, all the yeah, award shows, blah, blah, blah. Um, all right, so now we can get into the topic of the week, which is rom-coms so i guess jabari when you think of rom-coms what first pops into your head and then i can give like an official wikipedia which i don't know if that's considered official definition of a rom-com yeah um what pops into my head is kind of you know cheesy films that revolve around a love story and the love story comes before the comedy so i think of movies like hitch i guess Mm -hmm. that's like the quintessential rom-com to me that comes to mind is hitch and i don't know why i always just think of that the hitch yeah yeah yeah, I feel like Hitch came out in, like, the rom-com heyday era, yeah. Or movies with that guy. Um, what's his name again? He has a very distinct voice, and his brother acted, too. Yeah, I think pretty similar. You know, you can think of, like, the rom-com structure and, like, boy meets girl or boy new girl, but it suddenly realizes he's in love with girl, and then they fall in love, and then for some reason they break up, and by the end of the movie, now they're back together, and happily ever after that's pretty much like what i think of when i think of a rom-com in so many movies but that structure um according to wikipedia rom-com is a subgenre of comedy and slice of life fiction focusing on light-hearted humorous plots centered on romantic ideas such as how true love is um able to surmount to surmount most obstacles one dictionary definition is a funny movie, play, or television program about a love story that ha- ends happily. So I feel like that's really the crux of it. It's like rom-coms, nine times out of ten, ends happily. There's yeah. always a happily ever after. Um, rom-coms actually, you know, I think we think of rom-coms from like, we're, the first one we're going to talk about is When Harry Met Sally, but yeah. from around like 1989 to like mid-2010s, early 2010s, that was like the rom-com. Era. Yep. or the heyday or whatever but their earlier origins so you have movies like it happened one night um which came out in 1934 and i feel like also one thing we can get a talk to talk about is how respected rom-coms are and how i feel like they became less respected as time went on but it happened one night one for best picture best director best actor best actress and best screenplay mm-hmm. at the oscars and that's like an earlier rom-com and it was still a respected film and i feel like the further you get into the rom-com error, the More less respected res- yeah. it becomes. Like that's a lot of genres in general. Yeah. It's like as the craft kind of, you know, became easier to just exploit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been like people took what was like, I guess more like a specialized category and was like, we're just going to do whatever we wanted. Or exploit yeah. it. Sound like someone's coming in. Was it? Okay, now we can kind of get into the main part of the episode, which is kind of like the life, death, I'm using fear and quotes for death and kind of like the new age of rom-coms. So my first question would be to you, Jabari, what do you consider a rom-com? So what I would consider a rom-com 
is a movie where romance is the primary plot line, but the device to deliver that romance is humor, essentially. I'll probably say that's what my definition will be. Yeah, I agree. I think um, according to Wikipedia, which I know some people consider don't consider like a trusted resource, but I feel like for something like this, we can probably think it's a pretty common definition. Romantic comedy is a subgenre of comedy and slice of life fiction focusing on lighthearted, humorous plot lines centered on romantic ideas, such as how true love is surmount to most obstacles. One dictionary definition is a funny movie or play, funny movie play or television program about a love story that ends happily. Another definition suggests that its primary distinguishing feature is a love plot in which two sympathetic and well-matched lovers are reunited or reconciled. Which I feel like is pretty fair yeah. definition. Um, I think the likable part can be debated, but it's a pretty fair definition. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the earlier romantic comedies, you had some movies. We started kind of around like the later era of romantic comedies, which is around like the 1980s, early 90s. Um, but you had some like very early on ones like It Happened One Night, which came out in 1934. Which won Best Picture, uh, Director, Actor, Actress, and Screenplay at the Academy Awards. You have some others such as Bring Up Baby. As you go into the 60s, you see a little bit less of the rom-coms. I think you start to see them more in musical form. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, I think. I don't know if that's when Woody Allen had his idea. I've never seen a Woody Allen movie. I'm kind of like, don't plan on seeing one. But I think that's when he started having a little bit more movies. The 80s, early 80s, you had a lot of the John Hughes stuff, which was kind of more based around the teen um, age romantic comedies. And then you get to our first movie, which I feel like is like the start of kind of what we consider, maybe not what we consider romantic comedy, but like that whole, that whole era yeah. with like Nora Ephron, um, what Nancy Myers. So like that era of romantic comedies, which I feel like continued from around. 89 or so with like Pretty Woman and When Harry Met Sally, which is the first one we were going to talk about up until around like the 2010s, maybe early to mid. Um, I saw one video that mentioned that year you had Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached, which was literally the same movie with two different yeah. casts. It's probably maybe around the, the time title, you start to, yeah, yeah, see that it's dying. So any comments before we get into or anything to say before we get into our first movie? Um, No, let's get into it. Okay, so so the first movie we're going to discuss is When Harry Met Sally, which came out in 1989. And in 1977, college graduates Harry Burns, played by Billy Crystal, and Sally Albright, paid, played by Meg Ryan, share a contentious car ride from Chicago to New York, during which they argue about whether men and women can ever be strictly platonic friends. Ten years later, Harry and Sally meet again at a bookstore. And in the company of their respective best friends, Jess, played by Bruno Kirby, and Marie, played by Carrie Fisher, attempt to stay friends without sex becoming an issue between them. So, um, one thing about this movie is that it earned almost $100 million at the box office. Mm -hmm. It was like, I think, the 11th grossing highest movie of that year or something like that. And I think that's the year that things like Little Mermaid and... $100 million at the time it came out? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So, that's what I'm saying. Like, romantic comedies were... I think not only a fan favorite, but actually like movies that would make money mm-hmm. at that time. You know, like they were so, I guess, more respected than I think they are yeah. now. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, It was a really good movie. Like I understand why people like it. Like I know I don't like rom-coms. Like I 
think you was expecting me to stay. I didn't like the movie. Yeah. It was, was a good movie. Yeah. I was ready to fight. I was like, this is about to be in this podcast studio scrapping if you didn't like uh, When Harry Met Sally. Because, I mean, personally, I feel like it's just kind of a very simple movie, but it's like well acted yeah. simple. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I actually didn't rewatch it, but that's only because I've seen it so many times that if you mentioned like something that you want to discuss more to me, I would know. And I feel like it was just very well done like having the little fake couples interviewed in between and knowing that eventually Harry and Sally are going to show up having um like time pass so you can see actual character growth yeah between them having that that key question be can men and women between be friends stay a through line of the story time was like a huge aspect of the time was a huge aspect yeah, yeah. It was like i think time will be like almost a third protagonist in this film mm-hmm. because it's showing you that there's always a saying that it might be the right person but the wrong time. Yeah. And I kind of felt like that was kind of the whole through line of the story is that they were good for each other. No, they weren't they good weren't for good each other, other at a lot of points in yeah. time. They were good friends. Mm-hmm. But then when it was the time for them to be right for each other, even I'll argue that I don't know if that was true, it worked out for them. I think I think a big part of it also is like, yeah, one with time, when they first met each other, yes, they clearly weren't good for each other, but they were also 21, you know, or 22. So they're very young and then they meet each other a few years later. It's still not right for each other. But then they meet each other a few years later and it's like, okay, now we can develop a friendship. And I feel like for a while it was really a friendship without feelings being involved. Like you can see at certain scenes that you can kind of feel maybe there are a little bit of feelings involved. So like when she mentioned she has a date at the museum, you're like, okay, Harry kind of feels a way about that. Mm -hmm. But they still go through things like trying to set each other up with their best friend because they think like, oh, this is a great person and maybe it's not the person for me, but I think you would like them. And that just so happened that they, the best friends that they were double dating with ended up being right for each other. Yeah. And I think Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher was really good in this role. I've like only seen her as Princess Leia, I think, before seeing her in this movie. And I think she was really good in this movie. Yeah, but Carrie Fisher is who again? Uh, the best friend who was like sleeping with married men. And she was always like, you're right, you're right, I know you're right. Yeah. When um ever she would like, talk about the guy, guy she was sleeping with who mm-hmm. um, she would call him and he wouldn't leave his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, overall, I think, like, I, this, you said this was, like, the first modern rom-com almost. Almost. I think, like, around this, when this and Pretty Woman came out is, like, around the time, I think, when rom-coms really started to... Okay, I never, yeah. I never, which one is Pretty Woman again? We wa- talked about that on the Pygmalion episode with um, Julia Roberts and... Oh, where she was the, uh, the prostitute. prostitute and, mm-hmm. yeah, that was considered a rom-com, too? Yeah, it was, that was a little rom-com. more serious than rom com. Yeah, think. it was a little bit more of a drama. But yeah, I think I overall, in, I like I don't like rom coms. Like mm-hmm. I kind of let you know that before we started this episode. That being said, this movie was it, like I don't I wouldn't say I love the movie. Like I can see why it's great rom com. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take away the fact that I dislike rom coms. Yeah, it's kind of like okay, this is like as good as a rom com will get. And if you get what I'm saying, I get I get what you're saying. Like some genres just aren't for you. Like yeah, sometimes. it's like saying I don't like chocolate, but I I think this chocolate mousse is good. But I will but never I will love never chocolate. chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I'm never like craving chocolate. So it's like, I mean, you know what? It's funny because I I don't really and this really has nothing to do with, but I don't really like chocolate right that much. Like if you give me a chocolate bar, I'm like mm, I'm okay. But I love chocolate mousse. So like maybe it's kind of like you you need like a certain flavor of like yeah. the rom-com or a certain flavor say of an action movie or a sci-fi movie for it to be for you but as a general that wouldn't be like the option you would pick first yeah you know? exactly yeah but i think the movie was good like i did like how they played with the time um i think that the whole you know right person wrong time concept was really good 
I like the characters too. No, actually, what's his name was kind of a jerk. I think he was kind of a jerk, but I think that I he think wasn't he really endearing to me. Like I feel like he could have been more of a jerk though. I feel like he played it enough that he wasn't so much of a jerk that you disliked him, but you can kind of see who was kind of like, mm, I could you could go overboard for me to not like you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and then same thing with um, Sally, whereas like her very particularness could be very annoying, but she played it just kind of quirky enough or like adorable enough for it to be endearing as opposed to like I don't like these two characters mm-hmm. and I feel like that's the big thing with rom-coms I've seen rom-coms not in the ones that we watched really but like I've seen some rom-coms where I'm just like these two characters aren't likable and I feel like that's a big crux of yeah. a romantic comedy I need to be rooting for these two people to be together and if I'm not then it's kind of like what's the I wasn't the really point? rooting for them like I was kind of rooting for them to stay friends, friends because it was kind of like can men and women be friends and I wanted them to prove that yes men and women can be friends I feel like they, in a part, though, did prove that men and women can be friends because they were friends for so long before it becoming something else. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like they, I don't know, were never friends. Mm-hmm. And I guess I guess you're, I mean, I think in a way you are, right? Like, does it ask that question or does it answer the question, can men and women be friends? Or it's saying, no, men and women can't be friends. But I don't know, for me it worked. And I feel like sometimes it, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think um overall the movie was really good. Um, I do think that um, you know, like you said, the big issue with rom coms is that both characters are unlikable. Mm-hmm. I thought she was really, I liked her a lot as a character. Yeah, like I thought she was really endearing. Um, she wasn't really toxic. I think mm-hmm. like he felt a little bit more toxic to me than she did. She kind of felt like she was, you know, a little bit more in denial about certain things, like how mm-hmm. she was acting like she didn't really care too much about breaking up with that guy she was with for a long time and i feel like that's realistic though no it is realistic yeah. like i'm not i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's realistic and i think he was kind of you know trying to help her see that but he was a little bit too blunt i guess in a way mm, okay that made him a little bit unlikable to me because he wasn't really like i guess you know very he didn't have a soft touch with addressing certain things yeah and it kind of felt like she got with him because they knew each other for a long time more so than they were compatible Okay, I can see... Like, another movie we're going to talk about, I see a little bit more compatibility in that relationship than this one. And when we talk about it, I'll bring it back up. Okay. All right, I think... Do you have any final thoughts on When Harry Met Sally before we go on to the next movie? Um, yeah, it was really... Like I said, it was really good. Like, I genuinely enjoyed the film. I wouldn't... Like I said, I don't love this genre, but when he said we're watching rom-coms and this was one of them, I was like... Oh, all right, let me start this. But then I was actually enthralled enough to like, oh, this was good. Time passed by. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, this is one of like my favorite movies. I can like put it on at any point and just kind of watch it. And I might be on my phone, but again, like I know the scene. So I don't know. I think, again, the story is so well told and doesn't get like boring. I feel like sometimes when you rewatch a movie, it's kind of like, I don't want to see this again. Yeah. Or it's not, it doesn't really have a rewatchability factor. And I feel like when Harry Met Sally has like a great rewatchability factor. Yeah. And I think, I think it can be difficult if, and I feel like this is for with a lot of movies where um, if you've seen like a bunch of movies that kind of riff off of it, by the time you see the original, you're kind of like, and not yeah. to say it's like the completely original, but by the time you see like the, one of the beginning stages of it, you're like, well, I've already seen this movie before. And I feel mm. like I've seen a ton of rom-coms before when Harry Met Sally, but to me when Harry Met Sally still was like, this is good, a good yeah. rom-com compared to some of these others out here yeah. because it felt like, again, they developed their relationship enough for it to be believable. Cause I feel like that's a problem with a lot of rom-coms is often the time frame is so short. Like, again, I'm going to mention what I really don't like, which is very popular, which is how to lose a guy in 10 days. I was just like, 
y'all were pretending to be two different people for this whole time. You knew each other, and I'm supposed to believe that you fell in love within these 10 days, which is, like, no time at all. But mm-hmm. it was just unbelievable to me. So that's part of the reason why I didn't like that one. But this yeah. one, it felt more real. Like, okay, a span of 10 years, yeah, I can see how these people start to fall for each other over time. Yeah, exactly. So what's the next movie on our docket? The next movie on our docket is Bridget Jones' Diary, um, which came out in 2001. It was actually based off of a book from 1998, I think. Um, And the synopsis is, at the start of the new year, -year 32-year-old Bridget, played by Renee Zellweger, decides it's time to take control of her life and start keeping a diary. Now, the most provocative, erotic, and hysterical book on her bedside table is the one she's writing. With a taste for adventure and an opinion on every subject from exercise to men to food to sex and everything in between, she's turning the page on a whole new life. And before we get into it, um, Renee Zellweger was actually nominated for the Best Actress um, at the Oscars for this role, which was a little bit surprising to me. But Renee then Zellweger I, was? Uh-huh. Wow. But then I found out she was American. And she was playing British. She's like from Texas. And she was, playing British. was British. She yeah, British same. She, she, well, that. And then she also did a very good British you accent. So, <laughs> <laughs> they look British, yeah. Of course. Um, she did a very good British accent. I feel like you don't often see Americans doing British accents. You usually see the mm-hmm. Brits doing an American accent. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of this movie? Eh. Eh. I kind of felt the same way. Yeah. Like, it yeah. wasn't bad, per se, but it was just kind of all over the place. It felt very... 2001 mm-hmm. like in a the worst ways yeah um i don't know the fact that her character was supposed to be fat and she was like 136 pounds which yeah. was wild to me the fact that people were calling her spinster because she was 32 and single yeah. the fact that she was like sleeping with her boss and they like just this was no issue like all of these things felt very it was a lot going and then on like it. just the way they like framed something so like when she slid down the pole and it was just like her butt on the like, the screen i'm mm-hmm. like this is it feels like kind of sexist kind the of the fact that she Literally fell in love with the man that just tormented her for most of the time. I was confused by their whole relationship, too. It was just it's kind of out of nowhere. Be, apparently, it's supposed to be a Pride and Prejudice riff. Yeah. So, he's supposed to be like Mr. Darcy, which is why his last name is Darcy. You should watch. I mean, I know you don't like rom-coms. This is more of a straight romance. But you should watch the 2003 or four Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley and Tom from Secession. Mm-hmm. He plays Mr. Darcy, and I think that's way better. Like, if you want a Pride and Prejudice yeah. kind of vibe. I think that... um. um you know, that the whole, like, relationship she had with both people felt very inauthentic. Like, it kind of felt like they just kind of liked her. And there wasn't really much build-up to the relationships. And it was also, like, no reason. I guess yeah. I can see why the other guy started to like her. Um, the Mark started to like her, because I think he was supposed to see that she was carefree and fun in ways that he wasn't. He was more kind of uptight and, you know, not fun. So I think that's why he started to fall for her because he was, she was like, she's different than I guess what I know. Um, the other guy, like he just wanted to sleep with her, which is what we saw, which is why he cheated on her with his American secretary. Mm-hmm. I don't see why he wanted her back except for like a power play. but Or he just like magically fell for her. You know, one yeah. of those two things. Yeah, that's what I didn't like about the um, relationship she had with the second guy. Because, like I said, he torment. He literally was tormenting her in the beginning. Like, he was calling her names and stuff like that. He was like, don't hook me up with this single hussy or whatever he said about her. <laughs> yeah. And then in the end, he was just kind of like, 
I like you. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. It just didn't make much sense. And their relationship felt way more authentic than her relationship with the boss. Because mm-hmm. that just felt more like it was just like, oh, we're both, you know, young, single, and then like, and like with each other. Mm-hmm. But see, with the other guys, she kind of felt a little bit more authentic with. But it just didn't feel like the way they got together was authentic. authentic. And the movie wasn't funny. The movie, I don't yeah. remember laughing a single time in this film. Yeah, same. So for like, as far as romantic comedy goes, I just wouldn't really say it was a successful film. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't really a bad film per se, but it wasn't really for me. For me yeah. Um, I agree. I think like, most of the other romantic comedies I've seen, I've liked better. And again, this can be an issue of just having seen so many and knowing the formula so well that it kind of doesn't work when you see one that's like not really good, like when Harry Met Sally is. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I feel, yeah, like the relationships aren't built enough. Um, I feel like her characters, again, the whole quirky thing or whatever, I, I again... I really didn't like the fact that she was supposed to be fat. It was killing me because I'm like, this is a normal sized person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'd say like anyone who's large is not normal size, but you know, she she wasn't fat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's very much 2000 where everyone was supposed to be so Slim. skinny. Like, but it was also her thoughts, wasn't it? It was her thoughts, but I feel like the, the way they treated her, like apparently Renee Zellweger gained 36 pounds or 30 something pounds to play this role. So I feel like in the book, it was supposed to be a plot point that she was like a little bit thicker or whatever than average. Which she just isn't. And I feel like, again, that's a product of the early the 2000s. Because yeah. we can see that in the next movie we're going to talk about, too. They mentioned it a couple of times. That still exists to some extent, though, as far as the body standard is changing. Oh, yeah, like, for now sure. it's more about thickness, but like... like but it's like a slim thick. It's thick. not... Yeah. yeah, it's not like a... It's like, oh, you thick, but you got a gut, too, so we don't really consider yeah. you acceptable. Yeah, it's like flat stomach with yeah. big boobs and a big butt. you got to get the lipo. <laughs> like, yeah, you got you to get the BBL. unrealistic not, proportions. Yeah. Even, like, back then, it was unrealistic proportions. It was, like, so thin that you almost had a borderline have an eating disorder. Yeah, it was. it's wild to me how... I mean, again, this is not like a, a podcast going to body image yeah. issues, but it's wild to me how in those movies back then, the insult would be, your butt looks big. Like, that was an mm-hmm. insult. Now it's like people are flying out to get BBLs yeah. as opposed to wanting to have a flat butt or you see things like people are getting their BBLs reduced, so are we yeah. going back to that old standard? But... Or well, people just realizing it's not really good for them. That that too. And like when your butt explodes, that's a bad feeling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie was okay. I think that the love interest storyline could have been a bit stronger. Um, I think once you know it's a play on Pride and Prejudice, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. I've never like, seen Pride and Prejudice, so maybe I got to see that too. Yeah, I, again, I, I've never seen the 1990-whatever yeah. version, but I really liked I actually watched it for the first time last year, the um, one with Keira Knightley and Tom from Secession. I've never seen that one. Um, yeah any final thoughts on the film yeah it was again it wasn't one of my favorite rom-coms I think it did what it set out to do well it had like all of the common tropes of a rom-com like the love triangle and everything Um, I feel like it was purposefully dramatic with the fight scene where they were like literally throwing someone through a glass window so I feel like some of those things were on purpose um but overall, I don't know if I necessarily would revisit it. Mm-hmm. Our next film is 13 Going on 30. Um, this is not, okay. Our next film is 13 Going on 30. The synopsis is a girl who is sick of the social structures of junior high is transformed into a grown-up overnight. In this feel-good fairy tale, teenager Jenna, played by Chris B. Allen, wants a boyfriend. 
And when she's unable to find one, she fantasizes about being a well-adjusted adult. Suddenly realizing her secret desire to become becomes a reality, and she is transformed into a 30-year-old, played by Jennifer Garner. But adulthood, with its own set of male-female challenges, isn't as easy as it looks. I feel like this is kind of a bad synopsis for this film, Loki. Yes, yeah, the- I feel like... Say that again? Okay. <laughs> I feel like this is kind of a bad synopsis for this film, Loki. I feel like it's kind of... It is about, you know, wanting to find a boy, or it's not only about wanting to find a boyfriend. I feel like it's more about just generally wanting to fit in. Yeah. Like she wants to be in with the popular kids, with the uh, cool boys, with all of that. And then it's really just her and her friend Mark. I would hardly call this a romantic comedy, honestly. What would you call it? I would call it a coming of age story, I guess. I guess. I could see coming of age and romantic comedy. Because it was like, they have romantic bits, but I don't think the romance between him and her was a driving force of the yeah, force movie. of the plot it felt more so like her coming to terms with the fact that perfection is not exactly in what you have or the people that like you know the social standards of the time it's more so in like the authentic relationships that you make with other people yeah so it's like she got everything she wanted in the film but then she realized those things aren't going to make you happy mm-hmm. even though it was kind of weird <laughs> she was really happy I feel until like-, like she got betrayed by the woman in the end and that's where things started to fall apart I guess so. I feel like it's, but I feel like it wasn't just her realizing that she wasn't happy. I feel like it was also, I feel like it wasn't just her realizing um, that she wasn't happy, but also realizing that she didn't like who she became in these missing years. So it's kind of like she became friends with the popular girl. She became the head popular girl, but at what cost? She lost her friend, Mark. She's thriving at work, but low-key, she's, like, backstabbing her colleagues without knowing it because she's kind of, like, waking up this new life. One of somebody's husband. Sleeping with somebody's husband. Like, doing all of these things that she mm-hmm. realizes, like, oh, I don't like this. Even the magazine, she was like, can we bring just the fun back into it? And I think it was really interesting to have, I mean, it's, it's a little problematic, but, like, have a good 13-year-old in a 30-year-old's body mm-hmm. because it's kind of like that youthfulness that you kind of lose over you time. lose over time yeah. comes back and that's why she's able to have these like cool ideas about what the magazine photo shoot should be that's why she's just able to have fun with her friend on the swing that's why she's able to do all of these things because in life she you know she's 30 flirty and thriving mm-hmm. but she's also a little bit jaded and i feel like that's like very realistic watching it like now versus when you're younger when yeah. you're a kid because i saw this when i think i was like um eight or nine or something like that mm-hmm. and one, I kind of wondered why she wanted to be 30. Because when you're 8 or 9, 30 seems very old. Seems really so you're old, like, yeah. I don't know why she wants to be an old lady. Well, like, I want to be 25. and Yeah, but I guess you can't be 13 going on 25. Yeah. yeah, thrive. Um, like that. So it's like 13 going on 30 makes. But I guess also 30 kind of makes sense because that's supposed to be like when you have your freedom, I guess. life together. Like yeah, your oh, yeah, 20s are supposed together. to be a little bit, you know, you don't have your life together. But it's also just the idea like you can have all the material things you want and still not be as happy as you pictured it. And I think that's really kind of like the lesson of the movie is that she, again, she got everything she so-called thought she wanted. And she's just realizing that this isn't it. And I feel like that's kind of like a realistic thing to see being, you know, in my twenties now. Yeah. But even saying all that, you barely mentioned anything about the relationship that you're Which right. is why I think that this film is like, like, when you looked up the films, they had this on the romantic comedy section. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like, it's not the like it's not insane or, like, I guess, 
kind of see it as a romantic comedy. I mean, because I feel like... Oh, yeah, I could kind of see it as a romantic comedy. But I think the romance didn't play enough of a pivotal role for it to really be considered a romantic comedy. Especially since the romance between them was really a little bit more... Um, it felt more like a budding friendship until the end when she was like, I do like this guy. I do think he's important in my life. And I'm sorry that I did what I did to him to, you know, make him dislike me now. Yeah, I can see. Especially since she was getting married. Like, what he did to her, or what she did to him about to get married, is no kind of different than what she was doing to the other woman who was already married in the movie. Yeah, I feel like maybe she just thought she had more ownership of him because that's like her childhood friend. Yeah. I feel like there's a very gray area in rom-coms of <laughs> people being in relationships and then the other lead character realizing that I want this person, so therefore that other relationship is not valid. It doesn't matter anymore, you. Because there's a lot of demonizing of, like, the other person in the lead pairing's partner. Yeah. Which I feel like isn't necessarily fair. Mm -hmm. But this movie didn't do that. This movie just made his fiancée seem like a normal woman. Like, she just wanted him to move. I did like the fact that he was kind of like, I'm getting married, like, we're not doing this. We can be friends, but I'm not going to, like break off my wedding for this. Yeah, but she had to go back in time. But I feel like that was the whole the whole purpose of the movie was that at some point she was gonna have to go back in time. Like there was no way she could keep living out this life. It's a lot of missing years if you because that's a lot of missing years. Like so I can see why it kind of wouldn't be read as a romantic comedy, in your opinion, Mm -hmm. and more coming of age, because it is a lot about coming of age. I think romance I think it could be like a subgenre. So it's kind of like coming of age is like the main genre in the romantic comedy is like the subgenre of that main genre. Cause that romance is still like a guiding factor of it. Cause he's like kind of the second most important person in her life. Yeah. Also her best friend, I'm using finger quotes here in the movie. Um, I can't remember her name, but she was like romantic comedy movie, best friend MVP. She's like yeah. in every the romantic one that comedy. Was, um, the blonde woman who was her best friend? Uh-huh. Okay. She's like in, I think she was in 27 Dresses and maybe like a couple more movies. That's like the best friend character of the lead um, actress. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, overall, I was wondering, if, sorry, say you like, you know, you um have amnesia, right? Mm-hmm. And the last thing you remember was when you were 13. Do they mm-hmm. have that kind of experience of like 13 going on 30? I guess so. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know much about amnesia, so no, I can't I know really that. I'm just you. like, I was just trying to, I was just thinking about that while we were watching. Like, well, not while we, well, while I was watching. I was like, yeah. this is like, say like you have amnesia, the last thing you remember was on your 13th birthday. Mm-hmm. Would it be kind of like that? Like you would just have this missing gap in your life and then you'd be like, what, what happened? Yeah. Except the only thing, be. you can't go back in time, so. Yeah, I mean, it's actually reminding me of this book I'm currently reading now called the um midnight library which trigger warning here has like the theme of suicide and the main character tries to kill herself and she um ends up in like this library here where it's kind of like you're always at midnight and you can try on all of these different lives to see which life fits you the best fits you the best and maybe all these things again that you thought would have made you happy don't yeah, yeah. Don't actually. So maybe yeah, you could have become the Olympic swimmer, but are you truly happy in that life? Or you could have become like the rock star, but does that really make a difference mm-hmm. in what you thought? Maybe you would have married the guy you thought you were going to marry, but are you happy in that marriage? Like all of these different what ifs in your life, and I think that's kind of like just an interesting yeah concept to play with because I feel like as humans, we're naturally kind of like, what if I made this other decision? Maybe I would be happier than I am now or what if I did this or what if I did that mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a constant 
maybe it's not maybe it's just me <laughs> we're kind of like a constant thing of yeah. like what if so i think having a movie like this where it's kind of like yeah she got off she wanted but was it worth it yeah, yeah. this you know so i think yeah this kind of plays one. into that a little mm-hmm. bit yeah no i could definitely get that it was um it very much those a what if movie it's kind of like the grass isn't always greener mm-hmm. kind of idea but i do think that um as we talk about this movie and we barely t- touch on the romance, it's not it kind of just shows that it's just kind of not really. It's a it's a comedy with with romance, romantic elements. Again, I wouldn't really consider like it a, a subgenre. Yeah, rom com like would be a subgenre. I mean, it's a good movie. Like I don't think we mentioned if we enjoyed it or not. I mean, oh, you know, it's I mean, a classic. I feel like from the way we're talking about it, I hope yeah. people could tell we enjoyed it. But yeah, yeah I really enjoyed this. I actually hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I was like doing this um, Twitter thing the other day. It was like five movies you would keep and that was one of them. I'm like, yeah. I think I've seen it in a while. But this is one of the movies I would keep. It was like that, Princess Diaries, you yeah. know, all of those kind of teen movies or whatever, Mean Girls. I actually would, um, I actually um, saw it last year recently. So okay. it wasn't too long ago for me, like maybe sometime in May or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I remember this movie being good. So I was actually looking forward to watching it again because I think it's a really good film with an interesting concept. Yeah. And yeah, I just really enjoyed it overall. Yeah. So now before we get into our next movie, we're going to take like a little interlude to talk about what happened to romantic comedies and why we kind of didn't get them for a while. And it kind of started to change um, from like maybe... Oh, that was the last movie we saw? No, we have no, I said we have a couple more. I'm, I'm going to... Okay. A little interlude, I said. Okay, you could continue. Um, So for a while, I feel like we didn't get like traditional rom-coms. I feel like... Those are kind of weren't made. I feel like you got a lot of straight romances, and then you got a lot of like maybe just straight comedies, like the Judd Apatow era of comedy. You know what I mean? Like the raunchy rated R comedies, and you weren't getting as many um, rom coms. And one thing I think that started to be a little bit detrimental to it is that rom coms, and this is from like Masterclass. So the fact that there's like a Masterclass on how to create a rom com, <laughs> yeah, that tells you it's very a structural. Masterclass. Yeah, it says you have a five act structure, which is boy meets girl. Boy falls or they fall in love, turning point, break up, happy ending. So you always have like those five acts, yeah. right? It gets a little bit boring after a while for it to be so structural. The fact that, again, you have two rom-coms come on like literally the exact same year with literally the exact same premise. Mm-hmm. Boring. They start to like become less of a moneymaker and more of um, like something is not a must-see anymore. You have the same tropes. Every character seems to work in like media. Mm-hmm. They tend to be like a writer or a journalist or a news reporter. You have enemies to lovers. You have friends to lovers. You have love triangle, big public declarations of love. So it's kind of like you just know what you're getting. And then I feel like a big problem, and we can get into this a little bit in the next section, rom-coms were very white. Like I was watching a, I think a YouTube video about this, and it was like 80-something percent of rom-coms were a straight white couple. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, before, you know, a little bit later on, now we're getting a little bit more diversity, but everyone we watched bef- uh, before the next one we talk about was all white, all people. white people. Yeah, The best friends were white. The characters around them were mostly white. So it's just kind of like very white movies. You don't really get to see other people in them. So if you don't see yourself for so long, maybe you just stop watching them. It's kind of like, I can't relate to this. Mm-hmm. It becomes less escapism. because It's like, I'm escaping to yeah. what this, you know, what fantasy is this? Um, the funny thing is that rom-coms still thrive globally, but remember it's in a lot of countries that are very, um, what is the word? Mono, monogamous, Mono- uh, monogamous, um, 
It's, yeah, I know homogenous, isn't it homogenous? <laughs> so yeah, rom coms thrive in a lot of countries that are homogenous. Mm-hmm. I think in bar- in part because the diversity aspect isn't as important. Yeah, like if you watch like you know Nigerian rom coms or Korean rom coms. I was actually going to talk about K dramas and yeah, the next K- section, Korean yeah. dramas, Japanese rom coms. Mm-hmm. I think when you don't have the pressure of um having to be diverse, maybe diverse in like culture more so than race mm-hmm. or aspects like that people will get a little bit less tired of them because you see people that look like you on the screen. Yeah. So black people are like, this rom-com's good. Like, we're going to talk about a show in a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm going to skip season one because those people don't look like me. Yeah. So I think that um, rom-coms, you know, after a while, they became a little bit stale and stagnant. In a sense, like you said, they were just like three of the same movies dropping every year. Then they started becoming very low budget as well. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, we're just going to... We have this actor, this... This pretty popular actor, probably like low A level, high B, with this other low A level, high B actor, and we're gonna throw them together, let them banter, and then fall in love in the end. Mm-hmm. And that was the rom com. It wasn't really much to it after a while. Yeah, I agree, and I feel like again another issue is with the runtime because you have the same story structure, you don't get to develop the characters enough to really care about this journey for them. You know, you need to care about the characters that are falling in love. So if you don't, it's kind of like, why am I watching this movie? Yeah. I think another thing as time goes on, I feel like, I don't know, back in like old movies and even like these, some of the rom-coms you mentioned, I feel like you can really feel the chemistry between the two actors. And I feel like, again, because it's a romance film, if the actors don't have chemistry, it's kind of like, I'm not really rooting for you to get together. I don't really care one way or another because you don't have chemistry. Um, and I feel like, again, so I'll go back to it now, with K-dramas, you have 16 episodes of a TV show, so the format's a little bit different, obviously. Yeah. You have more time. But the actors tend, you, in a good K-drama, the actors will have, like, really good chemistry. So in K, like, I feel like in a lot of American stuff, like, people are, like, kissing and, you know, doing everything, like, right away. In a K-drama, you're literally waiting 16 episodes for them to kiss. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but you don't care because they act well enough together that it's not, like... I'm going to stop watching this show. And I feel like that's what you start to lose a little bit as you go on in like this romantic comedy genre. It's kind of like, let's take Katherine Heigl because she sold well in 27 dresses and let's take Gerard Butler because I don't know, guys like him and let's put them in a movie together and maybe they'll have chemistry. Maybe they won't, but we'll make this movie anyways kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, um, I don't really watch K-drama, so I can't really speak too much about that. But I shows like Insecure, I consider that like more of a rom-com kind of show. Yeah. Where, you know, you have the comedy aspect and you still have the romance aspect. Mm-hmm. But with a show, the pacing's a little bit different. So yeah. you have a lot more leeway to to focus yeah. on the comedy, focus on the romance, and then focus on other aspects. Like you could focus on her friendship with um, Molly. Molly. Then you could go back to the romance. Yeah. But the through line of the show is her romance with different men. Yeah. And, and then how it plays into her life. Even like... The through line ends up really being the romance with Lawrence because that's what she eventually ends up with. But you can kind of see their evolution from the first uh-huh. season to the last season. And you can, I mean, you don't have to like, I feel like a lot of people didn't like the fact that they ended up together, which is valid. Um, at the end, I kind of didn't care. But I feel like there was also like the line. And I think that's kind of, when you finish Love Life season two, we can talk about it more. Another thing is like, sometimes you don't have to root for the, characters to get together because it was kind of they said like um sometimes what's like right for you is necessarily or what sometimes what's good for you is i don't know it was like some line about 
the right decision always isn't like necessarily you know the one that seems the smartest yeah that was it like yeah sometimes the right yeah you can make a decision that's good for you but it's not technically the smart and also like that in the shows like the prolonged shows you can make a decision that's wrong at a specific time and then you can see the characters growth throughout the years Mm -hmm. like you know insecure has been on since what like 2014 yeah and ended 2021 you can see the growth in Issa in that amount of time as you also grow yourself with the show, I guess. Yeah. It's like, you know, we started that show when we were in our early 20s. Now we're in our mid to late 20s. It it's was like, actually a teenager when it came out. Mm-mm. It wasn't like, four, maybe when not. Did, when did, um? it must have came out like 2014, right? It wasn't when we were still in high school. Uh, it came out October 2016. Yeah, you wasn't oh, a teenager. Oh, wow, no, I wasn't a teenager. At yeah. all. Trying Whoa. to give yourself some years. I, I I am, but I wasn't that old. I was like 20. <laughs> I was very, I was barely out of the teenage years, okay? Um, but yeah, so as you grow with the show, you kind of notice different things like like um about yourself and like you know you go through your life as Issa goes through her life and stuff like that and I think with a show they're just more effective at delivering that kind of thing because with a movie it's kind of like you watch it it happens it's there but with a show it's kind of like you grow with it yeah in a sense it's like um I'm trying to think of like um I don't it's not a perfect example but I was thinking about um blackish and mm-hmm. how you see the like imagine you're a kid that's like the age of the kids and you watch the show and you grow with them and then you're graduating college mm-hmm. or you're going to college at the same time that they're going to college you kind of gain that connection yeah so like a tv show romance comedy it's like you go through your romantic things, things in life, and then you see and then you see the character mm-hmm. go through it it has and, like a relatability aspect yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so i think it's a little bit more effective in the show because of that yeah and i think it's fun too is I mean, the, the, again, the shows end with the happily ever after, but like sometimes you'll get the in between two happily ever afters or something like that, which I feel like is realistic because, again, movies end with this big grand gesture and that's it. You know, I'm like, I feel like half these couples end up divorced um, because a lot of times they just, again, don't seem right for each other. Um, so I guess now we can go into the next movie, having talked about all that, because, again, our last two, one is a TV show actually but speaking of that tv show format but the last movie we watch is a streamer which i feel like again now you're getting a lot more romantic comedies on streaming services um and a lot more diversity so this one stars two asian leads leads i believe one was korean american i think the other is chinese american um and the story is childhood sweethearts have a falling out and don't speak for 50 years only reconnecting as adult when sasha runs into marcus in san francisco Though the old sparks are there, the couple live in different worlds. Again, this movie came out in 2019, and it stars Ali Wong and Randall Park. Um, what were your thoughts on this movie? This is probably my favorite movie, The Bunch. Like, I think the connection between them was the most authentic of all the movies that we watch. Okay. Like, I felt like they these two had a really good... Um, is it because they were childhood best friends? or No, it's just because the actors had a really good rapport with each other. Okay, yeah. Like, I think that they felt, like, the most authentic in a way. Mm-hmm. Like at times I was watching this movie, I was just really like, oh, they feel like two good friends who are like genuinely authentically good friends in real life. Mm-hmm. And um, Randall Parker, you know, he's really good at what he does. I think he's really good in the roles that he plays. I would like to see him actually get more stuff because I think that he's a little bit like typecast to, you know, the kind of funny Asian dude at this point. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see him like, you know, expand his range because I feel like he would do really well. And what was the other woman's name? Ali Wong? Ali Wong, yeah. Yeah, she. I've never seen her in anything before this. But I thought she was really good in the role that she was currently in. And yeah, I thought the the first I thought the movie was really well shot. Like 
underratedly good film, I think. Like, I looked it up, I saw that it had a really good Rotten Tomato score, so maybe it wasn't underrated. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, it was good to see other cultures partake in romance. Same. Like, you, after watching it, pretty much every other film was white. Mm-hmm. Seeing this one, I was like, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're all people, but everyone has different cultures. Seeing them, um, you know, have like the kimchi soup, kimchi and... soup and stuff like that. The father was really good in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, like I found it funny. She was like, "Oh, you don't age at all," because you know the father was old in the past and he's yeah. old now. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, y'all don't age at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought the film was just really good, and it had a good balance of like they could be toxic because he was toxic at times. Yeah, but it felt like there was authentic growth. And stuff of them trying to get together. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of those shows where I was like, oh, I wish this was a movie instead of a TV show. Yeah. You I mean, said, oh, a TV a t- show and a I'm kind of, of glad it wasn't because, okay, I feel like one of two ways. Sometimes I feel like I like when things are stretched out into a TV show, but other times I'm like, I feel like this was a good length and it told a complete story in movie format. And I feel like this was one of those movies where I feel like it told a complete story in this time that it had. One thing I liked is that, like, they kept all of the love interests, even, like, the periphery, peripheral ones. Um, Asian as well. Like, it was his girlfriend, the uh, Asian girl with the locks, which, you know, a little cultural appropriation, but whatever. Um, And then Keanu Reeves was, like, her surprise boyfriend in the movie, which was funny because he was playing himself, but, like, a very dramatic version of himself. Um, And then the boyfriend before that as well. So I like that they kept all of the the leads, um, like men of color, women of color, and then they also even her best friend was played by um, a black woman, Michelle Bateau. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like in anything before was she in? She's in. I think she okay. She's a host of the Circle, mm-hmm. so <laughs> that's part of the reason why I know her because I watch the Circle. What's the Circle? It's like a reality show where you're in a room and you have oh, to. Oh like, yeah, I heard about that. One yeah, before. you can't see each other, but it's like your social media is what people. No, which is actually like an interesting, you know, thought experiment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's I would if you have like free time and want to watch a reality show, I would recommend mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, she's kind of in the things like that, like ne- a lot of Netflix stuff. Yeah, she was good in the film too, though. Yeah, like I think everyone serviced their their role well. Mm-hmm. Like um, Keanu Reeves, that's so random, but it was really funny. It was really funny, yeah. He was playing into the Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Reeves tropes. All, yeah, of it all. Like everyone talks about how nice of a guy Keanu Reeves. So it was kind of funny seeing him play a jerk. Mm-hmm. version of himself yeah where he was like overly like spiritual and mm-hmm. kind of condescending it's like that was, i really found that funny yeah yeah I, I really like this movie and again i like the fact that you have two asian leads as opposed to every other movie we watched before this where the leads were white mm-hmm. um and every other movie before this mostly you'll get a lot of white people, maybe you'll get one Will Smith movie with like Hitch or something. You get Jennifer Lopez and a few of them, but much overwhelmingly before this like new era of rom-com, it would mostly be white people. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last thing we watched is season one. No, sorry. I'll start again. The last thing we watched is season two, episode one of the HBO Max TV show, Love Life, starring um, William Jackson Harper. And I can go through a quick synopsis of Love Life Season 2. So Love Life as a show overall is an anthology series. Um, So each season will focus on a different character. Again, this specific season focused on um, Marcus. And you go through 
his life and each episode is dedicated to a different woman that enters his life and kind of like his love life as the show is called and then different phases of his life. You only watched one episode. I've seen the whole season. I really enjoyed it. But what did you think of just the first episode? Um, Is it a romantic comedy? It's not funny. Like it's good, <laughs> but it's not funny. Yeah. Like I thought like it's really good. Like I really enjoyed the um the realism of the show. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the romance and the things that he was going through is very real. Mm-hmm. Like as far as stagnancy and, you know, still loving the person you're like, it's just a long conversation about modern relationships and, you know, re reviewing how we see them because it's kind of like, you know, everyone grew up with this idea that it's like, you know, this Disney relationship and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But then modern shows are kind of showing you that relationships can be hard and they're not always perfect. It's not always like you find your soulmate and everything is flowery Flower- from there. Yeah. Sometimes there's times where it's like it wavers as a, you know, Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's up, there's down, there's up, there's downs and stuff like that. And I kind of like how they show the realism in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his romance with Mia, his romance with his wife and everything was interesting. But the comedy aspect, I didn't really see. It felt more like it was a social, like a, a, a deep dive into modern day social living as opposed to a comedy show. Because I don't really remember too many comedy bits in the show. When you have, like, his best friend who's, like, funny, uh, jokester. I think the further in you go in the season, the more you start to see, like, the comedy aspects. I feel like the first episode, maybe not so much. Um, I definitely think it's interesting to see, yeah, like, how romance is portrayed now as opposed to back in the day. Like, even going back to Bridget Jones' diary and how she was supposed to be a spinster mm-hmm. at 32, I think a study just came out saying, like, most women, half of the women now over the or by the age of 30 don't have, like, their first child. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like things are changing. So you're not so much a spinster at 32 if you're not married or if you don't have your first kid, you know? So I feel like in this show, Marcus is clearly, he's been through, like, his first marriage or whatever, but he's getting... Yeah, he's been through his first marriage and he's getting divorced. But I feel like TV shows now are one. I feel like they're finding ways to incorporate like the fact that people use their phones more. I feel like for a long time, TV TV shows and movies were trying to grapple with how to show like smartphone usage. But I feel like it's become such like a integral part of what people do that you have to find realistic ways to incorporate it or the show won't feel realistic, you know, anymore. Like if you have like a whole movie of like two 25 year olds falling in love or something and they never once send a text message, they never once do. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not really like, no this one is does like a fan- yeah, yeah, it's a fantasy world. They're like, um, oh, I haven't seen you or talked to you since last week. It's like, yeah, like you probably olds don't do that. Yeah. You're probably looking at their Instagram. You're probably texting them. You're probably, you know, doing something. Um, so it's kind of like, I feel like this show is starting to kind of, this, I think it's geared a little bit towards more millennials than Gen Z, but you're starting to see, like, how they're... Oh, definitely millennials, because I think they're in their 30s. They're in their 30s, yeah. I yeah. feel like a, a lot of shows are, like, people in their 30s. I wish there was more content. For people in their 20s? People in their 20s, yeah. yeah you better say that now. We're going to be out 30s soon, so... I got a few more years. Okay, <laughs> let me enjoy them. Um, but, yeah, no, I definitely... um, I like it. Like, it's, it's very modern. It's a very modern millennial kind of show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... It's very, like, introspective and, like, relationships and stuff. I think that's what I most enjoyed about it is the introspection of, like, a critical look at more uncomfortable things of relationships that people don't like to get into. Mm -hmm. Even the fact that, I like the fact that, like, again, and this is what you get by having 
a black man lead or, you know, just like more diverse leads as opposed to having just two straight white people Mm -hmm. is that you get to say things like, oh, what's what race is your wife? And then when you she says white, it's like, "Mm, you seem the type like, yeah, exactly. I I got that from your perspective. I'm like, I, you know, I can see that. Like when I see some, I'm like, okay, that's it's not surprising that, you know, you're. Yeah, there's some things that were on the nose where it's like, you're the Obama kind of black guy. Yeah, it, it was on the nose, but I still appreciated it because I get. They had to communicate this somehow in the, in the internal show. struggles that uh-huh. he was going with because, you know, he was like, he has his own internal struggles. Like, he's a professional black guy who's doing pretty okay. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up with a white woman. He's thinking, yeah, I mostly dated white people, but I thought I would end up with a black woman. But then I met her mm-hmm. and we ended up together. And it's like, okay, I I get where his own, like, is this show written by a black person this season? I think so. Okay, so I get where, like, this might be an introspective thing where it's like, yeah, you might see yourself with a black woman, but it's like if you never date black women, how are you going to end up with, with a black, black woman? woman? Yeah, and then he falls in with like maybe I'm the bad guy that I'm rooting for him and Mia, but <laughs> I'm rooting for him and Mia because I'm like mm-hmm. okay, you know, get this black guy with this black woman. I mean, I, I also them up together. feel like the way they frame it is in part for you to root for him mm-hmm. and Mia. And I think one interesting again, I don't want to get too far into the show because I just don't want to spoil it for you. Yeah, but one interesting thing is you get that um. You kind of get like messy relationships. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's an interesting part of, again, more modern shows. Like things aren't, again, aren't always Disney. Picture perfect. Yeah. Picture perfect fairy tale. You can have a messy relationship and similar to Insecure. And it ends up where maybe these two people ended up together. Maybe they don't. But it, the messiness doesn't necessarily mean that's it for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I think that, um, they don't paint his wife as a bad guy. She seems like she's trying her hardest. And I think that's why to I like rekindle too. things. Like, like yeah, she's white, but she doesn't seem like she's a bad person off that fact. And it's like when he asked her, "Name a black guy that I remind you of," mm. and she was like, "Obama." Um, she wasn't trying to be malicious. She wasn't yeah. trying to be malicious, but that's kind of what she got. And he's thinking like, so yeah, he wasn't trying to be malicious. She wasn't trying to be malicious, but he doesn't want to be the corny black guy either. You know, like. No one wants to be LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> like, you want them to say you're someone cool. But, like, as someone, like, like it's weird. Like, everyone wants to be someone cool. But I remember, like, I was at some party and some white girl was like, you remind me of Tupac. I'm like, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Like, come on. So I think in his mind, he wants these things. But then you don't want to be the stereotypical black guy where it's like everyone thinks you're the rapper. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like about the show. It kind of brings up like those introspections and stuff like that. And I also feel like partially that can be the black guys that she knows, you know, like, the, again, those are the respectable, finger quotes, respectable black people to be. So that might be who she first, you know, first thinks of. There's not necessarily a knock on Mark. And again, she's not trying to be malicious with it. And I think that, again, is the good thing about the show and the good thing about a TV show format is that you can, you have enough time to frame both like your leading man and your leading woman as fully fleshed out people, but also mm-hmm. kind of like that other person that's interfering with maybe your end game couple as a fully fleshed out person too. And I feel like that's what I liked about this. Cause yeah, she didn't do anything wrong. She was just, he just lost interest in her or maybe he shouldn't have married her in the first place, but that's kind of like he already did. So, um, yeah, so we can start to wrap up. You have any final thoughts just about the first episode? Maybe we can revisit when you finish the season. Um, I mean, it's a really good show. I'm gonna finish it up. We could definitely revisit it when we're I'm done with the season. But I'm looking forward to see where it goes. I know you said each episode is about a different person. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a little bit like 
I want to see more of him and Mia. Like, I'm enthralled in this romantic circle or romantic triangle. So I, I do mean, want to see where it goes. I, a little spoiler. She's a through line throughout the season. Okay. So you'll see her again. It's not like she's going to disappear. Okay. Yeah. So I do want to see more of Mia. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to finishing. I like its modern take of relationships mm-hmm. and the more introspective thing as opposed to just like, you're, you're, you're entertaining cheating so you're medically evil. It's a little bit more like, okay, let's figure out why you're entertaining this and mm-hmm. what in your life is not up to par that's making you want to entertain this. And I kind of want to see more where that goes. Take, yeah. A little bit more nuance because, yeah, I like shows I like shows that tackle tough topics that are uncomfortable to talk about mm-hmm. for a lot of people. It's yeah. like, okay, these are things that people automatically usually go like, oh, my God, you're bad. Mm-hmm. And Insecure kind of did something like that too, if I remember correctly, right? Like, didn't, yeah, because Issa cheated, Issa on, cheated on him. And uh-huh. it was kind of like, okay, I could kind of understand because that's when he was still kind of in his bummy phase. Yeah. Where he wasn't really doing much and mm-hmm. she was kind of the breadwinner or whatnot. And they broke up. So it's not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of like she didn't just, I mean, and then some people do cheat and they just stay together. Like that's mm-hmm. also an option, but that's not what happened in Insecure. Um, but yeah. And again, I think, again, there's like this movie <laughs> that I hate. It's called Something Borrowed. And the whole premise is that you have like the two, again, two lead characters and the lead character is, or the lead guy is marrying the lead girl's best friend, but the lead girl decides to start an affair with the lead guy who is her best friend's fiance. And throughout the movie, we're supposed to be rooting for them. And I'm like, I feel like Mm -hmm. this two or hour and a half format does not give me enough time to root for this. Like you're not fleshing out these characters. So I feel like you can't, you can tackle tough topics in movies, but I feel like rom-coms aren't, don't tend to be the genre with the time span given to tackle tougher topics. You know what I mean? Um, So I do think overall, though, like, the revival of rom-coms is something I like because I personally really enjoy a rom-com. Like, give me a cheesy movie that I could put on for an hour and a half and halfway watch and I can enjoy it, you know? Like, I know what I'm getting. But also give me the fully fleshed out TV shows that are ten, nine, ten episodes and I can also really enjoy that or five, six seasons in the case. I, or five, six seasons such as a show like Insecure. Yeah, exactly. Um, one last final thought before we wrap up is I'm interested now. I feel like we keep seeing the evolution of, you know, movies and genres and stuff to see how they kind of start to bring in dating apps and stuff as well. Cause I feel like you started to see it a little bit, but not, I think as much as people use them in real life. So I'm interested to see how they start to introduce that a little bit more into the romantic comedy genre as well. Um, so, yeah, that's this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap, Jabari? Yeah, I mean, um, I learned I like some of these movies more than I thought I might have. Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't regret watching them. Um, it's still not my favorite genre, but I definitely enjoyed the films. Yeah. All right. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. And please remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. And speak to you later. Bye-bye. Right, later.